where marriage is made and love lasts. Welcome to Marriage Unhindered with Doug Hinderer. Relationship problems? No problem. Give us a call, 888-914-9149. Need a second opinion? That's 888-914-9149. This is Marriage Unhindered. Here's your host, Doug Hinderer. Today, welcome to Marriage Unhindered. I'm your host, Doug Hinderer. I'm here to help you live married life as God intended it and to give you some help in those areas where you might be struggling. Listen, the show is designed to help you sanctify your marriage. Marriage is a path to holiness. It's a path to sanctity, and we're going to try to focus on helping you grow in holiness through your marriage. Marriage does not have to be perfect to be wonderful. Thank goodness for that because no marriage is perfect. To be clear, this is not therapy. This is education. Some of the issues we may get into may be too complex to answer on the show, or perhaps your challenge is too complex to heal on your own. I want to encourage you to consider therapy for difficult situations. There is wonderful science out there on how to heal marriages, and there are some wonderfully competent therapists out there as well. This show is under the protection of our Blessed Mother, under the title of Endure the Knots. And uh, we always begin with a prayer to her. So if you will join me, please, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Blessed Mother, take into your hands the knots that affect married couples, and with your long fingers of love and grace, undo these knots for the glory of God. Visit married couples with your grace. Renew their sacramental covenant. Increase God's love in them and strengthen their bond of peace so that with their children they may always rejoice in the gift of your blessing. Amen. All right. Well, there are, you know, three things that you need in order to be, uh, to have a happy marriage. You've got to be able to manage your conflicts gently. You've got to nurture and grow your love. And you've got to practice forgiveness. So we're going to start off talking today about the, the second one there, how to grow the love in your marriage. Uh, and then later, you know, I'm going to read an email that came in from a woman who is married to a narcissist. That will be, <laughs> I don't know if that'll be fun or not. Narcissists are tough cookies to, uh, to live with, but that'll be interesting as we explore what life is like married to a narcissist or someone who has, you know, narcissistic tendencies. So lots of good stuff on tap this morning, and I Hope you stick around to the end. But let's start about how to nurture your love. I, you know, do you wish your spouse treated you with more kindness and gentleness? Or, are you, how are you doing on that score? Could you be kinder or gentler to your spouse? I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that. Taking your calls at 888-914-9149 or email me at Doug at Marriage Unhindered. All right, so we need to grow the love. We need to deepen it each day. And we, we can't take our eyes off of off the ball. And I, I liken marriage to a garden. You know, you can, you can plant your tomatoes in the spring and come back in the fall and pick some tomatoes. Or you can go out every day and you can, you know, pull some weeds and water a little bit and put down some fertilizer from time to time and and, and then you're going to have a beautiful crop of tomatoes. Well, marriage is kind of the same. You know, you're just going to go through the motions and just get up every day and spend some time together and go to bed. Or you can nurture it. You can 
can water it and fertilize it and, and pick out the weeds that are going to grow in your marriage sometimes. So that's what I want to talk about is, uh, you know, and uh, is, is love, and especially storge love, which is a gentleness and a, and a kindness. I, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, talked about the four loves that were first identified really by the ancient Greek uh, philosophers. And uh, there's four of them, philia, which is friendship, storge, which is gentleness and kindness, where we're going to focus today, eros, which is infatuation and, and physical love, and then agape, which is sacrificial and unconditional. So friendship, as you recall, we talked about before, but it's this deep knowledge of each other's world. There's this openness to what's going on in my world and and uh, this deep uh, interest into what's going on in your world. So it's shared interest. We enjoy spending time together. But it's also this idea of emotional safety, that I'm safe with you, and and I can share with you what's going on inside my world, and, and uh, you're not going to make fun of me or criticize me or put me down. You're going to you're going to affirm me, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, on a practical level, one of the ways to really deepen friendship is to make eye contact with your spouse. When your spouse is talking to you, when they reach out to you to turn and, and look at them eye to eye, because eye contact conveys the message that you are important to me, which is why I'm looking at you. And, you know, we're in Lent here, just getting started, really, still. And so a good Lenten resolution might be just look at my spouse more. I'm just going to every day, whenever my spouse talks to me, I'm going to make a conscious effort to turn and look at him or her. So, all right, so on to storge, which is affection. We're going to take a deeper look at what the love of affection is all about. And this is a gentle caring for your spouse. Think of it in terms of kindness and words of affirmation and appreciation. Okay. Things like, you know, please and, and thank you and you know, filling up your spouse's coffee cup when you notice it's, you know, half empty or uh, it's affirming and complimenting each other. This is catching your spouse doing something right, you know, and acknowledging it and, and praising your spouse for what they're doing. Uh, it's about being the safest place on the planet. So I, I want you to, you know, if you if you got the room, but stick your hands out in front of you and then join them together and, and form a circle with your arms. I call this the ring of safety, the circle of safety and picture your spouse inside the ring of safety. Picture your spouse inside your hug. And the message that that you want to give is that, you know, I, I don't know what happened in your day all day today, all the bad things and all the craziness that went on in your world and the frustrations and the disappointments, but you're now here. You're now inside my arms. You're now in the safest place on the planet. Nothing can hurt you now because I've got you, and I've got you inside the ring of safety, and I'm not going to let you go. That's the, that's the hug, right? Really important thing. Hugs are contagious. Physical touch is really important, and a hug is one of the best ways to, to show affection. Now, what if I uh, asked you, would you like to be 25% happier tomorrow? If there was a secret formula you could plug in, and in the next few days become 25% happier, would you do that? Well, I would. Well, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I got the secret recipe for that. Uh, comes from a guy named Dr. Robert Emens, uh, who has done research on thousands of people uh, and uh, who's been studying gratitude for more than a decade and considered by many to be the world's leading authority on gratitude. So uh, here's what he says. 
Studies show that practicing gratitude increases happiness levels by 25%. That's pretty good. You know, how would your life and marriage look if over the next few days you became 25% happier? How would your marriage look if your partner was suddenly 25% happier? That's a good thing. Anytime you can get a 25% return on your investment, I'll take that in the stock market every day. Uh, And here's the deal, according to Emmons, it's impossible to separate gratitude from love and happiness. You can't have one without the other. It's impossible to exaggerate what gratitude can do to boost your level of happiness in your marriage. Gratitude is literally one of the few things that can instantly and measurably improve your marriage. The benefits of gratitude in a relationship are calculable. They can be computed. Uh, It's love's power booster. It's more than a feeling. It's an attitude, a habit, a choice, a motive, a way of life. I like to talk to it, uh, talk about it as an attitude of gratitude, developing an attitude of gratitude. And if we could do that in our marriage, life gets better. We get happier and, um, uh, and our spouse gets happier and the marriage gets better too. All right. So here the, I, uh, there's a priest by the name of Lawrence Lovisick who wrote a book called The Hidden Power of Kindness. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that book. Some of you have read it. Over 200 pages dedicated to how we can be kind to people. I don't know how you can write 220 or 30 pages on kindness, but he did it. And every page is just chock full of great ideas on kindness. So a couple of his main thoughts here. Speak kindly to someone at least once a day. Uh, Think kindly about someone at least once a day. Act kindly towards someone at least once a day. So let's, let's take that and apply it specifically to marriage. So speak kindly to your spouse at least once a day. Now, I recommend you do it in the morning before you part ways for the day, something kind to start the day off on a positive note. If I can leave the house or go to my, my tasks, my chores for the day, smiling, knowing that my wife or my husband has said something kind to me, has affirmed me in some way. That's a great way to start the day. Think kindly about your spouse at least once a day, right? And we're going to talk about that in some detail here in a few minutes. Act kindly towards your spouse at least once a day. And I've got some practical ideas for that as well. So according to Lovisick, we should be kind to our spouse because our spouse is in the image and likeness of God, okay? Um, and when we treat our spouse with kindness, we're treating Jesus with kindness. I, one of the powerful parts, I think, of the scriptures that um, I like to, uh, to refer to is, when, is Paul's conversion. When, um, when um, he gets knocked to the ground, right, this flash of light, and then Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my friends? Why are you persecuting these people who love me? Why are you persecuting these people who haven't harmed you? He's saying, you've persecuted me. And so in a very real way, whenever uh, we treat our spouse with kindness, we are treating Jesus with kindness. And wouldn't we, if Jesus was in our midst, treat him as kindly as humanly possible? Yeah. Well, 
every time we treat our spouse with kindness, that's, uh, that's what we do. So before I go on to the practical ideas, we've got a few callers. Let me uh, take one here from Francesca in Milwaukee. Good morning, Francesca. Oh, is Francesca now with us? Yeah, good morning. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Awesome. Uh, uh, thanks for having me. I just had a quick question about um, finances. So yeah. um, my husband and I uh, do our finances together and, um, you know, and we have young children and we try to focus on spending for the children mm-hmm. and, you know, and for our needs. But then there comes that time where, you know, maybe he wants to pick up something or I want to pick up something for myself. And that we kind of get into a little like, oh, um, you know, is do we really need this? And, and it seems like kind of a stressor on the marriage. And I've seen people like my sister, um, she'll do this with her husband where um, I think they give each other like a hundred a month and it's like not non-discussion money for them to spend. Yeah. But I don't know if that's a good way to go about it. And I was just curious what you thought. Yeah, you could set up however you want to. Do you have uh, do you have separate accounts, or is your money uh, in, just in one account? Uh, we we share it. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea. Uh, and I, you know, money is the number one thing that most couples fight about. I guess you know, unless you are a multi multi millionaire, there's <laughs> never enough money to do everything you want to do. <laughs> right. And how you're going to allocate that. Uh, yeah, it leads to conflict for sure. I think it makes perfect sense for each of you to have some discretionary money that you can spend on whatever it is you'd like to, if you want to treat yourself to something, I think that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, you could decide what that amount is for sure. Whatever makes sense in your budget. The key, I think to the idea is to be able to, uh, have a conversation about the budget mm-hmm. so that you know where you've allocated the money and, mm-hmm. uh, and then how much you each have. And, it's the mm-hmm. fights about money are generally not about the money. They're about what the money represents. And it represents mm-hmm. one of two things. For some people, money is about security. I can't sleep well if I don't have money in the bank. I have to have at least three months worth of money or six months or whatever your number is. And I, I'm insecure if I don't have money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Other people, uh, money's about enjoying life. You know, I need to have fun. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy life. I have to spend money to do that. I'm only working to get money so I can enjoy life. And so I've got to spend money to do that. So spenders versus savers, you get a lot of conflict there. But to mm-hmm. your point, long way to answer your question. I'm sorry for that. No, that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, having some mad money that's totally at your discretion, I think is a great idea. Yeah, because I just trying to avoid the the criticizing of like what you buy. Again, these are like menial things, like whether it's like I I go shopping and pick up a dress, or he goes out with the guys, or something like that. Yeah, sure. I think that's I think it's fine. Have your own discretionary funds it makes all the sense in the world. Good luck awesome. with that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, so back to uh, the power of kindness, right? And uh, and uh, store gay love, deep affection for each other. Some practical ideas on that. Um, and first and foremost is focus on the positives. And, and this goes to Lovisek's second point, right, where you should think kindly about your spouse every day. Focus on the positives. It's easy to get focused on the negatives. It's a way to protect ourselves from getting hurt. And we do this naturally. This is how we stay safe in, in, in a dangerous world. So we're constantly scanning the horizon for danger. If you're walking down the sidewalk, you're looking, is there somebody coming my way who maybe 
perhaps looks dangerous? Or is there a big dog running loose and barking? Or, you know, I'm getting to an intersection. Are there cars coming, et cetera? So this is how we stay safe. And it's a really good thing that we have this, this eye out for danger for the negatives. But when we focus on our spouse's negatives or, or defects, it brings us down the rabbit hole of resentment and self-pity. And resentment and self-pity are, you know, they're like poisons in, in a marriage, okay? Because um, it, 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 it just sucks, you know, oxygen out of the room, right? So, um, and so again, develop this attitude of gratitude. So make a list of your spouse's positive qualities. What is it about your spouse that you admire, that you're thankful for, that, uh, that you appreciate, right? And without a whole lot of effort, you ought to be able to come up with um, 20, 30, maybe even 40 different things. Set that as your goal. 40 different things about your spouse that is a positive that you admire and appreciate. And then review it every day, you know, so that you can continually plant in your mind all of these positive thoughts and, and ideas about your spouse. And then add to the list whenever something else jumps in your mind. Oh, yeah, wow, they're really good at this as well. Add that to your list so your list can keep growing. So it helps you keep thinking positively about your spouse. The other thing is, then the other idea is share some of the things on your list with your spouse. Now, not all at once. You don't want to just sit down and read a list of 40 things you like. Spread it out over a month or two. But each day, maybe say one thing that you appreciate or are thankful and let your spouse know that. Another idea, which is a really powerful idea, and couples who have done this have, have come back and said, man, it really, it helped a lot. Every day, uh, or not every day, but, but go to the drugstore and buy a box of these blank cards. You know, they've got a sailboat on the front of them or some hot air balloons or whatever. And then on each of those cards, write on the inside one of these things that you are really thankful for, that you appreciate. And then a couple times a week, leave one of those cards where your spouse can find them, you know, in front of the coffee pot or the mirror in the bathroom or on the front seat of the car. And your spouse can open that card and they're going to read something that you really love about them. And that's going to start their day off on a really positive note. Uh, and that's the idea, right? We want to start them with this idea that I really love you. And I just want you to know that. And I'm so happy to be married to you. We're going to pause here for a minute. I've got a few more things to talk about folks on the practical ideas of how to develop and, and ferment the, uh, the, the, the love, the storge love, gentleness, and kindness. And we'll do that when we come back from our break. our defects with our imperfections and that's what we're trying to do here on marriage 
unhindered. I'm taking your calls, 888-914-9149, trying to help you love your spouse the way God loves your spouse and the way we're called to love our spouses as well. We're talking about the uh, love of kindness here so far and and, uh, how do we go about doing that. And So we talked a little bit about focusing on the positives, easy to get caught up in the negatives of our spouse and focusing on the positives, far, far better way to to go. Second thing I want to say on on this point is um, we have to accept influence from our spouse. One of the uh, characteristics of successful marriages is the spouse's accept influence from each other. Uh, and that's a, that, that, that's a big deal. Uh, especially I, well, it's because, you know, I love you. And so I, I allow you to influence me, but especially this comes to the research of John Gottman, especially predictive of successful marriages is when the husband accepts influence from the wife. And what his research shown is that when husbands do not accept influence from their wives, they have an 81% chance of divorce. 81%. What a staggering number that is. And so we're going to talk here in a minute about being married to a narcissist. One of the things narcissists don't do is accept influence from their wives or their husbands, because women can be narcissists as well. So, But this idea about accepting influence makes a lot of sense, especially how powerful it is when men accept influence from our wives. And I, you know, if you go back to the Garden of Eden and God created Adam and, and he's walking around paradise and and God says, hmm, not not good to leave him alone. He's, he needs some help. He's going to get this all messed up if I leave him to, to himself. And I'm going to create for him a helpmate. So he uh, he creates Eve. Now, you know, the question is, why didn't, if he's looking to create someone to help Adam, why didn't he create another guy who can help him, you know, build a barn or plow a field or you know, watch football on Sundays, but he created a woman so radically different in so many ways whose basic job description is, you know, go help the boy. I, you know, he needs help, and uh, that's what you're here for is to go help him. And so when when us husbands push our wives aside and don't accept their influence, don't accept their input, don't ask them how they think, you know, we should be doing things, it goes right to the to the core reason that God created Eve. And so if we want to uh, live a godly life, a, a, a marriage the way God intended it, gentlemen, we need to accept influence from our wives. And, and that needs to be an important part of, uh, you know, how we treat our wives. So uh, accepting influence increases fondness and admiration, and uh, it increases the odds that I'm going to turn towards you and move towards you uh, when we have things to talk about. So Lovisick points out that uh, happiness is found in self-denial. And boy, this is countercultural, right? Remember there was a time we lived uh, where, well, if ever there was a time that we live in now where it's all about my happiness, what I want, boy, uh, that's that's kind of our culture now. But uh, and in fact, I was, this is a number of years, it was probably 20 years ago now, but I was riding the train home one day from work and there was a, a couple seats in front of us, four women sitting together, young women, and they were kind of making fun of one of their friends who they don't see much of now after she had gotten married because she runs home to make dinner and and to do these kind of wife things. And they were, the one woman said, well, that's not me, man. I'm not going out of my way. I take care of my needs first, then I take care of my husband. And and I thought, man, that's, first I thought, boy, how sad for the husband that the wife is going to be that selfish. And secondly, that's a marriage that probably isn't going to make it. 
because selfishness destroys marriages. Selflessness actually feeds marriages. So, so um, happiness comes from self-denial, putting our spouse first, right? And to denying ourselves what we want and accepting, uh, you know, the will uh, or accepting what will make our spouse happy, in fact, leads to our own happiness. And the idea is, if I make my wife happy, I'm going to become happy as a result of that. Because if she's happy, I'm going to be happy. So focusing on our spouse's happiness is a real key to, to growing our own our own happiness. And it's a lot easier to do that, of course, if we see uh, Christ in our spouse. So self-forgetfulness, according to Lovisek, self-forgetfulness is another word for sainthood. Let me say that again. Self-forgetfulness is another word for for sainthood. So the idea is uh, to yield cheerfully in matters of personal preference. You know, if that's what if this would make you happy, sweetheart, I'm good with that. Let's let's do it your way. And early early in my marriage, I was uh, talking to a priest once, complaining about something. I have no idea what it was. And he looked at me and he said, "Doug, if it's not a sin, give in. What what difference does it make if it's not a sin? You can't compromise in an area of sin." But outside of that, you can compromise on everything. So if it's not a sin, give in. So develop that attitude of gratitude. All right, so we're going to shift gears here a little bit at the kind of the halfway mark um, and talk about narcissism. And I got a, 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 an email from a woman this week that, uh, who feels, anyway, she's married to a narcissist and, and um Wanted some advice on that, so I thought I'd read it on the air. And, you know, if, if you're married to a narcissist or someone who doesn't, uh, you know, who belittles or criticizes or puts you down, seems to care only about themselves, uh, give me a call. Let's talk about it. I'm taking your calls at 888-914-9149 or email me at doug at marriageunhindered.com. So here's the email. It's a, it's kind of a lengthy one, so I'm going to kind of uh, take a few shortcuts and abbreviate a little bit of it, but uh, I think enough you'll get the uh, the, the pain that this uh, poor woman is, is having to endure. She said, uh, last week's show was especially good where you talked about what to look for in a spouse. Alas, for me, it's 40 years too late to run for the hills. That's, yeah, that's a sad thing. Uh, when you talked about the characteristics to avoid in a spouse, I realized my husband had most, if not all of them. <laughs> ouch. Uh, yeah, ouch. Um, I have diagnosed him to have narcissistic personality disorder. So, yeah, you know, I, let me just say, you got to be careful about diagnosing our spouses with mental disorders and, and uh, personality disorders. But because we all have a little narcissism in us, the problem with that is once we put a label on somebody, it's pretty hard to see any contrary uh, information. So be careful about that. But I, I get it. We kind of, we need to put order to our world and figure out what's going on. So she goes on, I have told him in the past that he is a nurse, uh, that he is a narcissist. And I showed him the definition and the symptoms. He agreed. He had a little of it. All right, let me pause there for a minute. And one of the interesting things about narcissists is most of them will readily, readily admit it because they believe they are superior to everybody else. And so they're willing to admit, of course, I'm superior to you. I mean, this is, that should be no surprise to anyone. So narcissists tend to <laughs> admit that they're narcissists. Uh, but now he throws it back in my face with a tone of incredulity uh, that I had the nerve to call him that. Which again, yes, makes perfect sense because 
narcissists manipulate the situation. And once they get something that they can use to manipulate or to tear you down, they're going to do it. And so that, uh, that kind of fed right into to the narcissist's uh, behavior patterns. So she goes on, we did see a therapist many years ago, but after the second session, uh, he did not make an appointment on the way out, said he needed to consult his calendar, and therefore he did not follow through. Uh, most likely didn't hear what he was saying. So that was the end of therapy. Yeah, I think my experience in in working with couples where one of them is a narcissist um, is, yeah, we usually get about four sessions in, maybe five, and then the narcissist, as soon as we start looking at some things a narcissist could do better, they uh, decide that I am incompetent, and they, uh, yeah, they blow it up, and uh, they don't come back. So, not unusual, right? And uh, narcissists have a pretty low cure rate because in order to get better, in order to cure something, you've got to admit you're doing something wrong. Narcissists can't admit that. So it, they, it, it's almost impossible for them to ask for help because they don't need it, right? All right, so again, she said, I won't bore you with examples of behavior except to say, sadly, that my home is not a refuge. In fact... When I uh, go home, I, I go into my shell to protect my vulnerability. How true that is, right? We walk into a place that's dangerous for our heart. We often have to withdraw in order to protect ourselves, and, and vulnerability is a scary thing. And, and we, if our vulnerability has been bruised and broken, we're going to climb into a shell. Yeah, I, that makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, since the beginning of the year, I've resorted to silence when he complains about things or accuses me of whatever. Uh, once he's on his soapbox, ranting and raving, I just keep quiet till it blows over, and then he returns to normal. However, this has taken a huge toll on my sanity. I feel happiest when I'm at work, uh, where I'm my normal, bubbly self, confident, appreciated, and, and even loved. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk more about uh, how to handle a narcissist here in a minute. My husband can't, uh, she's talking about um, uh, that she really enjoys her job. And uh, my husband can't stand it. He's very jealous, I think, especially when I have to work longer hours because then there's not a fresh cooked dinner for him every night or something else might be like, and it's normally done. I have to do a balancing act of managing the office, managing the home, taking the dog for a walk, etc so as not to negatively impact his life. Right? That's what his focus is, is his life. Um, interestingly, my husband is very, all capital, I was very religious and devout, attends daily mass, and we pray a rosary together in a chaplet. Uh, however, he's lacking the fruits of the Holy Spirit, like patience, kindness, and gentleness. Yeah, it would appear so. That's the problem with uh, with narcissists. They, they, they lack those virtues. Um he has even irritated and antagonized several people at church, priests and others in charge with his demeanor, uh, which he brushed off as being direct or straightforward, and other people can't handle that. He just says it like it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's one of the mantras of a narcissist. You know, if you got a problem with me, you got a problem. <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> the problem is yours, not mine, right? So uh, she goes on, and she's talking a little bit more about her work and the fact that her boss has just moved in with his girlfriend. Uh, she says, when my husband find, found out about this, he went ballistic 
asking me how I could work for an immoral boss. I should give up my job and go do some charity work, etc. Uh, and he was going to check with Patrick Madrid to see if I should continue working there. I think that's a great idea. He should call Patrick. I would support that, right? Uh, but here's the deal. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, keep the job. Uh, if we could only work for people who are in a state of grace, who were saints, we'd all be out of work. Well, except for me, of course, because I work for Father Rocky. But almost everybody else would be would be out of work. So, yeah, you don't quit somebody just because they're not in a state of grace or living a moral life. So I, uh, I'll take your side on that one. Bottom line is, how do I continue to deal with a narcissistic husband? And this is, listen to this, because this is vintage narcissist, who often says, I'm not perfect. I work very hard on myself. And to me, he says, I don't see any change in you. Ask God to give you some wisdom. <laughs> How is that? That's the textbook definition of gaslighting, right? And, uh, oh, yeah, I'm not perfect, but man, are you terrible, right? So there you go. All right, so this poor woman is dealing with someone who looks pretty narcissistic. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, I'm going to give you some pointers on how to deal with a narcissist that you're married to. I'm taking your calls, 888-888-888-914-9149, or email me at Doug at marriageunhindered.com. Talked about the circle of uh, circle of safety when I'm hugging you and you're in the safest place on the planet. But now we're going to talk about when you're not in the safest place on the planet, when you're married to a narcissist. I'm taking your calls at uh, 888-914-9149. Email me at Doug at marriageunhindered.com. Let me put in a quick word for the marriageunhindered.com website. Uh, where you find uh, past shows that you can uh, listen to and you can get access to my marriage tune-up workshop, which uh, you might find some great value in as well. All right, back to narcissists. Listen, I mean, here's a couple of stats. Uh, uh, narcissism affects from 25 to 4.5% of the population. So, you know, not a big number, but not a small number either, to be sure. And about... Uh, upwards of 75% of narcissists are men. So it tends to affect men a lot more so than women, although uh, women can be narcissists as well. They just hide it, I think, a little bit better. And the cure rate for narcissism is pretty low. I mean, so in order to get better, you need to admit that there's something wrong that you need to do better, and narcissists think they're right all the time. And uh, generally when they say, well, I'm not perfect and, and uh, I'm working on me, yeah, they're just... Uh, they don't really believe that. So so some characteristics of what narcissism is all about. It's this grandiose sense of self-importance, this desire for excessive admiration. I am really special. And you need to acknowledge that. And they really believe they're special. 
Uh, they live in a fantasy world that supports their delusions of grandeur. I mean, their reality really is different. They really believe they're special. They really believe they're gifted. They really believe that they, they're operating on a different plan on um, a, 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 a different level from everybody else. Um, they need constant praise and admiration because they're pretty insecure. They have a sense of entitlement. You owe me admiration, respect, and obedience. You owe it to me because I am so special. Uh, and when they fail, they tend to blame other people. So if they flunk a test, it's because they had a bad teacher. If they uh, don't, you know, if they get cut and they don't make the team, it's because there was a bad coach. So no matter what happens, someone else gets blamed. There's always a reason why I'm not successful. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, they exploit uh, others without any guilt or shame because they're superior. And uh, they can't expect you to understand why I treat you this way because you're so inferior to me. Uh, so they don't experience guilt or shame. Uh, and, you know, they frequently demean, intimidate, and bully and belittle others, right? So they pull others down below their level. So the way I feel superior is by pulling you down uh, below that. So, so you know, how can a person learn to live with the selfishness, arrogance, the superiority, superiority this, uh, uh, this entitlement, you know, every day without losing your mind? And, you know, how can we tolerate narcissists who are bullying and controlling and intimidating us, right, and trying to convince us that they're so superior? Uh, well, I think there's, I've got a few things here that we can do. Uh, and one is, don't take things personally. You know, to protect themselves from feelings of fury and shame, narcissists deny that they have shortcomings, you know, and that they're cruel or that they make mistakes. Do not buy into the narcissist version of who you are. Narcissists don't live in reality. They have a personality disorder. Their reality is not the same as other people's reality. Um, and that includes how they view other people. So don't let their shame or blame game undermine your self-esteem. Refuse to accept undeserved responsibility or blame or criticism. The negativity is the narcissist to keep. So don't, just don't, don't take it personally. They can't help it. They're, there's a brokenness in their psyche and they can't, they can't help it. So um, don't take it personal and don't accept their uh, interpretation of who you are. Don't argue with a narcissist. When attacked, the natural instinct is to defend yourself. Don't waste your breath. Simply tell the narcissist that you disagree with their assessment and move on. Uh, they will gaslight you and attempt to get you to think that that the um, uh, your facts are wrong, and they're going to constantly argue that you see it wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and they are the only one that's right. right? So... Um, don't take it personally. Don't argue. Know yourself. Your best defense against the insults and projections of the narcissist is a strong sense of self. When you know your own strengths and weaknesses, it's easier to reject any unfair criticisms leveled against you. My, my personal advice to this one is get to know yourself in the Adoration Chapel. That's where you can get to know yourself. And that's where you get to know that God loves you as you are and you have value, right? You are uh, you have great value and great worth. Okay, I have a few more points, but got a few questions. Let me see if I can get to those. Let's go to Marlene in Florida. Good morning, Marlene. Hi, Doug. A uh, quick question here, if I could make it quick. Yeah. Um, 
So situation, 22 years of marriage, very pro-life Catholic family, 10 children, um, wow. and um, married to a narcissist, yeah. now left the marriage because she couldn't handle it any, anymore, addicted to porn, and mm. thinking that the church is okay with that as long as, it depends on what priest you go to, mm-hmm. she said, number one, number two, if you do it uh, amongst each other in the marriage, it's okay. So uh, counsel was not um, was out 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 the out the door because she couldn't talk to him anymore, and um, couldn't get through. You know, like you said, uh, they're not in touch with reality. So yeah. moving on, there's been no talking for almost two years now, mm. and ten kids are involved. The kids don't even want to talk to him or anything. Is there any resolve, or is this a um, not really considered a sacramental marriage and not producing, not working, not wanting to pay child support. Wants sure. a divorce. She wants a divorce. So yeah. what's your advice? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't give you advice on whether or not it's a valid marriage. That's out of my pay grade. So I would talk to some priests and, and find out about that. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is narcissists generally don't change. And when they are, destroying the marriage, destroying the family, destroying the kids, and they don't see it, you know, they somehow still think they're justified or they're, yeah, you're right, priest shopping to find someone who can tell me what I'm doing is okay. You know, I, uh, and and they're giving, certainly whoever they're going to for advice, like a priest, they're giving them their reality, which is going to be very different from, from the truth. So, uh, the odds of it being saved are pretty slim. This is where you're going to get into, you know, agape love, un- unconditional love, sacrificial love, and and because uh, and, this is a person with a mental illness, uh, and mm-hmm. it's a pretty it's a pretty tough life being married to someone with a mental illness. So, um, not likely that the marriage can be saved. Opportunity for uh, sacrificial love and suffering on the part of the spouse. All right, so let's um, uh, let's go. Let's keep going here on the things that you can do if you're married to a narcissist. So don't take it personally. Don't argue. Know yourself. Let go of your need to be approved by the narcissist. It's important to detach from the narcissist's opinion and any desire to please or appease them at the expense of yourself. You need to be okay with knowing the truth about yourself, even if the narcissist sees it different, which he or she most certainly will. Uh, look for support and purpose elsewhere. Uh, a narcissist isn't going to change into someone who truly values you, so you'll need to look elsewhere for your emotional support and personal fulfillment. Spend time with people who give you an honest reflection of who you are, children, friends, uh, coworkers, etc. Okay. In order to maintain perspective and avoid buying the narcissist distortions, it's important you spend time with people who know you and will validate you and will make you realize and see the true beauty that you carry. Uh, and finally, perhaps most importantly, find the good. And, you know, to our previous caller, find the good, right? So even a narcissist has good qualities and does some things well. All right? And it ties into what we talked about earlier in the love of kindness and gentleness, just because a person has a personal personality disorder doesn't make the person bad, although there's a real tendency to judge them as being a bad person. It just changes their ability to accurately perceive reality. They just see it differently. It's like 
it's like they're looking through a distorted pair of glasses. It's kind of like you know, one of those mirrors at the carnival that distorts how you look. That's how they look at life. But they'll swear on their deathbed that the way they see it is the actual way that reality is. Um, but they're just such divergent with everyone else. Some days it may be harder to find the good in the narcissist than in others, but with a bit of practice and exercise, it becomes easier. For every thought of frustration that they generate in you, counter it with a positive thought. Have your list of what's positive about them, what's good about them, and review that list. Makes it easier to tolerate their, you know, their their crankiness, their meanness, their their criticisms, and their their gaslighting, right? Uh, so review your list of qualities, right? And listen, you know, being married to Martin Narcissus gives you a wonderful opportunity to join your cross with Jesus, to offer up your pain for your spouse's salvation, for the salvation of your children, for the conversion of sinners, for the souls in purgatory, etc. Narcissus, look at your narcissist spouse as an invitation from God to grow in virtue and to love unconditionally. Let's go out to California to Karen. Hello, Karen. Hello, Karen. Are you there? Calling once, calling twice. No, Karen. We've lost Karen. All right. So find the good. Uh, find the good and and then pray, right? Uh, you pray for the narcissist a lot. Pray for yourself a lot that you have the, you know, the grace to remain cheerful, the grace not to become bitter, the the grace to love this person, your spouse, even though they've got this personality disorder that is is ruining your life. And I think if you've got children, you know, get them praying for the parent too, who's the narcissist. Help them to develop this you know, this idea of compassion towards people who are broken and you know, if, and the way I talk about it is, you know, let's say you married someone who had had, say, polio as a child, uh, and they, they and their legs are deformed. And let's say you're a runner. You love to run. You like running marathons, half marathons. And you always envisioned yourself married to someone who could run with you. But you fell in love with someone whose legs just won't let them run. You wouldn't hate them because they can't run with you. You'd make allowances. You'd find other things to do. You'd maybe walk a little more slowly, right? And in a case of a personality disorder, uh, narcissism or borderline personality disorder, which affects women more than men, sometimes it can be helpful if you look at that disorder as, um, as you would if it was a physical disorder, right? And... Sometimes then it's easier to have more compassion and and more kindness towards that person. And, you know, the one way, I mean, if a narcissist is going to come back, if they're going to get better, they're going to get better because you are just killing them with kindness. And they their behavior isn't triggering in you anger and harsh words and contempt. Uh, and that no matter how cruel they are, you combat them with with kindness Etc. So, not easy being married to a person with uh, with narcissistic personality disorder. But don't don't take it personally. Don't argue with the narcissist. Don't get into fights. Know yourself. Be comfortable. Be happy with who you are. 
Know that you're never going to be approved by your narcissist spouse. That spouse is never going to compliment you, tell you how wonderful you are. You're going to have to go elsewhere to get your emotional bucket filled, your need for love. Your children can do that. Friends can do that. Coworkers get involved in organizations that do good work, you know, at church or outside organizations. Coach, coach a kid's sports team, you know, do things where you can uh, get your accolades and your uh, uh, acknowledgments and, and your, your emotional bucket filled in with other people. And then find the good. Pray for them. There is good in everyone, even in the narcissist, okay? So, listen, I uh, the time has gone by way too fast. Uh, I want to thank you. Good to talk to you today. Check out my website, right? Check out the website, marriageunhindered.com. Information about me, past programs. My marriage tune-up workshop is there to help you improve your marriage. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Kill your spouse with kindness this week. And until next week, remember, marriage does not have to be perfect to be wonderful. There's a solution to everything that is hindering your marriage. And you'll find those solutions right here on Marriage Unhindered every Saturday at 11. Have a wonderful day.